everybody. Um, and thank you again for joining us this morning. During this time of social and physical distancing, SAC believes it's important to keep engaging with the public on issues of the day. And in order to do so, we are very thankful for the continued support we receive from the University of Lethbridge, Shaw Spotlight, and the Lethbridge Herald. Our speaker today is Mike Mahan, um, and the topic is Cuts to Funds for Post-Secondary Education. What is the University of Lethbridge's new reality? Dr. Michael Mahan was installed as the President and Vice-Chancellor of the University of Lethbridge in 2010, and after serving two consecutive terms, has been reappointed for a third term beginning July 1st, 2020. During his first term, he introduced the university's first academic and strategic research plan, followed closely by the Destination 2020 plan, the University of Lethbridge Strategic Plan. <clears throat> Excuse me. He has been active in several other provinces and national committees related to post-secondary education, including former Canadian University Sports, Alberta Economic Development Authority, the Canadian Olympic Committee, and the Coaching Association of Canada. Dr. Mahan is the recipient of the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Medal and an honorary member of the Kainai Chieftainship of the Blood Tribe in Southern Alberta. Thank you very much for joining us today, and we very much look forward to your talk. Thank you very much, and uh, good morning, everyone. It's uh, nice to join you, even if I can't see you. Uh, each of these uh, experiences over the last number of months has uh, reminded me how wonderful technology is in ensuring that we can remain connected, but uh, on many levels how insufficient it is, at least from my perspective, for us to be able to, to be truly connected. And so I, I start off each of these that I've done saying that uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you all in person again and having, uh, you know, the, the level of social engagement that I know SACPA is famous for. So I'm really pleased. I was saying earlier before we came on, I'm really pleased that SACPA has uh, found a way to connect uh, the community uh, through this medium because I think uh, as we have moved through COVID and continue to move through COVID, uh, having ways to connect, even if... Uh, by technology, as well as importantly, ways to uh, continue with important discussions is is uh, really important. And so, I was very pleased uh, when Knut asked me to uh, participate today. Uh, so today's uh, uh, topic is really about the unprecedented times we're in, both as re relates the Alberta economy and um, the challenges that the province faces for that reason. Uh, and of course, secondly, as it relates to COVID-19 and the impact that uh, it has had on all of us. Uh, and so I'll speak about those two topics. And then the third thing I'll talk uh, uh, briefly about is uh, the need for the University of Lethbridge to undertake transformation that we are already um, embarking on and uh, the importance of that transformation being a, um, a process that is a, as transparent as, as absolutely uh, possible. So I'll start with the slide deck uh, now, uh, which is uh, slide deck is the first part of my presentation. And so um, what I wanted to do today is to provide you with uh, an overall budget update uh, for the University of Lethbridge as it relates to the budget reductions that we've faced. Now, I will say before I get into the details that um, this whole issue of budget has been um, a tremendously moving target. 
we've had over the last many months um, uh, different uh, communiques from the government as to what um, the the uh, decisions are by the government as it relates to our budget. Uh, the government introduced um, uh, a whole set of new metrics um, which are, are uh, designed to uh, um, in essence measure the progress of institutions uh, and, in, and indicated that those would um, be uh, uh, in place uh, this fiscal year 2021. Uh, the government re recently um, withdrew uh, that decision and uh, has said that uh, those metrics will uh, not be implemented this year but will be implemented in the future. Our sense is it may be as early as next year. Part of those uh, those um, metrics were uh, was a metric that related to um, uh, overall expenditures by universities. And so, in addition to the budget reductions that I'll provide an overview of, the um, the government also um, said that they had a goal, and it came from uh, the McKinnon report that was uh, introduced uh, last uh, last year. Uh, they had a goal for universities and colleges to reduce their overall expenditures. Uh, to bring them into line with what the government thought was uh, uh, an average that was appropriate for our province. Um, these expenditure reductions for us would have meant that over three years we would have had to uh, decrease our budget. In addition to the budget cuts that I'll talk about in a second, we would have to decrease our budget by about $30 million. Uh, last Friday, um, we learned that, uh, or sorry, last Thursday, we learned that the government has uh, now backed away from um, uh, introducing those budget uh, reduction or those expense targets. And so in the er, in the um, original uh, advertisement for my presentation, uh, there was discussion about those uh, uh, budget reduction targets. Uh, but uh, when we received the information at the 11th hour as to the, um, the removal of those targets, um, we uh, quickly, as we've had to do lots in this uh, pandemic, we quickly um, pivoted and uh, changed the the uh, presentation and uh, the uh, advertisement for the presentation. And so today I will give you what is truly the most up-to-date information I have. I hope it's information that remains relatively stable because uh, it's information that our that the university and our board are um, basing our, our next year on. And so I'll talk uh, then about the provincial budget uh, 2020 and, and uh, three years out in terms of the reductions that we have faced. And so in 2019-2020, we uh, had an in-year reduction uh, with really only a few months left in our, in our uh, fiscal year of 3.16 million or or sorry, 3.16% or, or 3.4 million. That was an extremely challenging thing for us to meet because our, our fiscal year was almost over. So we really had to scramble to find the savings uh, with only a matter of months left. And, and uh, you know, in the end, we're able to do so, but not easily. This year, we're just into this fiscal year, where I guess we're three months into the fiscal year, and the government has um, given us a 6.6% a uh, budget reduction, uh, which is 6.7 million. So when I say budget reduction, what I'm talking about is, is the amount of money that the government provides us in what's called our Campus Alberta grant. And in a, a second, I'll show you um, how that Campus Alberta grant fits in the grand scope of things in terms of our overall budget. 
so what this means is in totality for the first two years, we've had to cut about $10.1 million out of our operating budget. That's on an operating budget of about $200 uh, million, uh, all, all rolled up, but, but not uh, in relation to our, the, the funds we've received just from the public sector. The next two years, uh, from 2021 to 2023, will also then be required to cut another 5.1% and 5.38% uh, for a total of 11.1% uh, over the next two years. So the total reduction for us um, that will be required um, up to 2023 is 20.25% uh, or 20, just over 20 million. I'll go to the next slide. Now, um, I talked about the uh, the metrics, um, and I thought while we're not, we haven't been introduced to them. We've been introduced to them, but we're not expected to meet these uh, this year. I did think it would be instructive just for you to have a sense of kind of the the scale of or the, the scope of the metrics, I should say. And so we anticipate there. It's likely that that we may be um, expected to um, be. Um, measured by these metrics, uh, not this year, but next year. And so you'll see that the metrics have a strong focus on employment uh, and then uh, focus on teaching and research. And uh, from a teaching perspective, it's primarily a focus on enrollment uh, and uh, competencies. Um, you'll see under the skills and labor uh, metrics, uh, a strong focus on, on, you know, sort of employment and, and the nature of employment. Uh, and including uh, income. The challenge we see with these metrics, and we'll see when they all roll out, is uh, um, the lack of control that universities have on many of these metrics. So if you look at median income as an example, uh, the fact that we have a teacher graduating and, and getting a teaching job versus uh, you know, an economist versus um, you know, a nurse, etc., these are not um, incomes that are dictated by the universities. These are incomes that are dictated by the by the profession or by by the um, uh, by the public, uh, both private and public. So um, part of what we'll be grappling with going forward is exactly the question of this. Now the next slide um, shows you what the impact would be of um, the metrics if implemented next year, and and you'll see in the first year they were intended to uh, put 15% of our operating uh, grant from the government at risk. Uh, with by the third year, 40% of our operating grant at risk. And so our operating grant is around, a well, it's less than 100 million. It used to be more than 100 million, but it's less than 100 million now. And so it's that portion of our overall budget that would be uh, placed at risk going forward. Now, the next slide provides you uh, a, a sense of our operating revenue. And I'm not going to go into great detail on this, but I, I did want to show you how reliant we are on the operating uh, grant from the government of Alberta. And so that's the first uh, uh, set of, of three bars. And you'll see the next uh, most significant um, uh, uh, source of funding for us is, is tuition. And so if you roll up tuition and, and operating uh, revenue, these represent really important sources of operating funding for, for the university. And so placing uh, though that um, first uh, amount of funds that you'll see is, uh, was over 100 and is, uh, um, will eventually be under 100 uh, uh, this year, um, you'll see that it uh, um, is a, would it be a significant challenge for us if 40% of 
that amount of funding is at risk. And so that's, uh, that's the worry for us going forward. Uh, the next slide, uh, general operating expenses. Uh, the reason I wanted to show you this, and again, not to go into the details, but I did want to um, uh, show you uh, the extent to which uh, our overall operating budget is dedicated to people. And so you'll see that uh, uh, salaries and benefits uh, make up uh, in 2021, 81.6% uh, of, of our total spend. Uh, in in 2019, 2020, it was 83%. The difference between the two is, is uh, unfortunately, layoffs. So the decrease in the number of employees that we have uh, in at the University of Lethbridge. And I'll come back and talk about impacts in a, in a second. The next slide just shows you, um, you know, the extent to which our operating budget is dedicated to students. And you'll see that on average, we're almost at $30,000 Per student that we spend uh, in a in a operating uh, year, uh, you'll see that that's increased from 2011 to 2012 to uh, today. But uh, you know it's been pretty stable over the last many years, in part because our our funding has been quite. Um, we haven't had a lot of increases from government funding, obviously. And then the next slide just shows you in in contrast to the uh, the reductions that we face and the impact on the university um, uh, and i'll come back to talking give you some ex uh, specific examples of the impact on the university uh, the uh, at the same time the the relative impact of uh, our university and the spend of our university on the economy and so this slide shows you that our overall economic impact in the province of alberta on a yearly basis is about two billion dollars uh, the three numbers, uh, 683, 686, and 675, uh, shows you the impact in Lethbridge, uh, in Calgary, and then in the rest of Alberta. And so one of the things that I've spent lots of time talking to uh, community members about is uh, the impact of the decrease in, in um, our operating budget and uh, the, uh, the impact of that on the local economy. And I think all of us know that, uh, you know, come September, the grocery stores are, are exploding compared to in July, the, um, uh, the restaurants are, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's great concern from the community about the impact of budget reductions on uh, businesses and on the community. And then you throw in COVID and it uh, becomes even more significant. I, I'll, I'll, I won't go to the, the last slide on COVID uh, because... Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, the impact on um, uh, some examples of the impact. And then if we can go, I'll, I'll say that's now moved to COVID and we can move to, the, to that last slide. So to, to bring a little more, um, I guess, uh, color to what all these numbers really mean, um, I, I just thought I would give you some examples. And a lot of this has been in the media, so uh, many of you will be aware of this. Uh, so since uh, we began this uh, this uh, challenging exercise of budget reductions. We've laid off uh, 84 individuals permanently, and we've had a, a, a around 150 and more uh, temporary layoffs, uh, those more related to COVID than, than our budget impact. But, but they do tie into budget uh, reductions because COVID has, has created even more challenges for us. And so the com com combination of COVID and budget reductions has meant we've had to make some very difficult 
uh, decisions. We've uh, laid off a number of senior uh, positions in, in addition to uh, folks in, in uh, various areas on campus, uh, and um, in, including making decisions not to uh, search on, um, on certain positions. So I've decided, for, at least for now, not to uh, replace the vice president advancement position because uh, of the challenge of, of our budget. Uh, very publicly, you'll know that we uh, unfortunately uh, made the decision to um, not move, continue to move forward with having a men's and women's hockey uh, program. Uh, the, com the community was uh, very, very um, concerned about that and, and came back to me with um, the question of whether they could come together to explore whether there's a uh, more of a community-based funding model for hockey, and, and that uh, led to a committee being uh, led by Dan LaPlante, who is, uh, and the committee just met on Saturday for, I think, four hours to explore this. Uh, we have, uh, as a result, had, had to make some very important and challenging decisions, and uh, when when your one of your core values as a university uh, is pe uh, people, uh, having to make these difficult decisions has, has been uh, challenging and, and truly heartbreaking on many levels. I'll now talk a little bit about COVID in relation to both, both budget and where we're going with COVID. So the last slide um, in the deck is a slide that just shows you overall what has happened to us from a COVID perspective uh, in terms of um, the uh, um, the financial impact. And so this pie chart uh, shows you it's it's primarily losses and so you'll see that we've lost about a million dollars uh, because of sport uh, facility revenue we've lost uh, um, you know uh, tuition revenue of over a million dollars we've lost uh, ancillary services revenue of 4.2 million dollars there are some pluses in there and so if you look at um, uh, travel savings it's it's our largest savings uh, uh, not surprisingly, and uh, it's the result of, of COVID, obviously. But overall, so far, the impact of COVID on the university has been about $6.2 million in terms of projections. And um, the challenge for us is not knowing uh, what that's going to look like going forward. And so we're really crystal balling as best we can. So in terms of uh, COVID itself, you'll know that we uh, uh, closed uh, classes uh, in person March 13th. We were online March 18th. And we eventually pretty much closed everything on campus from residences to library to labs other than uh, labs that uh, were uh, and, and research that was deemed critical to being completed or lost. Um, we're now in the process of exploring what return to uh, campus looks like. And so we um, have re- uh, initiated our emergency operations committee. That committee, led by Michelle Helstein and, and um, Doug Mackey, has done an outstanding job helping us move through all of the challenges of COVID. And Michelle Helstein will take over uh, in a week and a half as our new uh, vice provost for the University of Lethbridge and has shown the, the leadership uh, that uh, I think will be really well served uh, for the university in her role as vice provost. So the exploration now is how do we bring back uh, researchers, faculty members, uh, um, administrators, staff, etc., slowly and safely. And so that process is, will unfold and you will start to see uh, more people on campus, but it'll be a very slow process and very much focused on safety. Um, 
And, and you know, when we have everyone back on cam campus is anyone's guess, and I don't even know, I think the chief medical officer uh, can tell you, uh, we're starting to see uh, in the province increases in COVID again as we open up. And so it's going to be a real balancing act, and uh, which is why our fall is uh, primarily online. And that um, means that uh, most classes will be taught online. Some classes will be in person, and we're also in the process of uh, rigorously looking at uh, which courses need to be in person. And that's really the measure of uh, decision. If something can be online, it will be online. And so um, the things that will be in person will be some fine arts programming, uh, some health, health sciences programming, uh, some laboratories. but. Uh, as an example, uh, I think the number I saw in terms of total number of courses for labs is only 12 uh, this far. So you, so that gives you, I think, a sense of how, uh, how well, I'll say, our faculty have done in really figuring out how to do this and how dedicated uh, they have been in doing so. So the process is faculty to dean, dean to um, emergency operation committee, and, and then finally president's executive. So that process will unfold and uh, um, we will um, you know, be very busy this summer, uh, faculty members in particular, uh, developing online materials, which is uh, you know, one of the, in that pie, pie chart, you saw the amount of money dedicated to new technologies. And so uh, we, uh, when we closed down and went online in March, we really used the duct tape approach to going online. Now we're really focused on how do we do this really well. And so it's required new technologies even to make sure that uh, how we do our exams and our grading is really um, uh, well, well developed. And there are some great new technologies to support that. In looking at the future, um, one of the big questions for us is, given 70% of our students come from away, how many of those students will come back to campus in the fall? Or sorry, not, not back to campus, back to Lethbridge in the fall, knowing that so much of what they'll do is online. Uh, the reason that's a question is because it really then implicates what do we do uh, as the university in terms of services for students? Are they primarily online? Do we have some in-person services? Uh, what do we do around residences? Will, will we have a certain portion of our residences open, et cetera, et cetera. So there's lots of consideration and also lots of uh, concern around the cost of all of this or the lack of revenue that uh, if you think about, you know, residences as one example, if we're only able to have a quarter to a third of our uh, total number of uh, resident spots open, uh, the cost of running those residences versus the revenue we'll get from students uh, will be significant. So that uh, remains a big question. And the other big question for us is enrollment. Uh, thus far in the summer, our enrollment has been very robust, uh, huge increases. Uh, uh, but, you know, I, not surprisingly, I think lots of students are, are going online and taking classes because there are so few summer jobs available. Uh, what that looks like in the fall is, I think, a big question. Thus far, um, our enrollment uh, numbers are tracking slightly below uh, this year. And if that's what we end up, I, I would say that's a huge victory. Uh, and so we, uh, our um, registrar's office, student services office, our recruiters, etc., are spending an awful lot of time trying to uh, uh, assure students that uh, 
they're going to have a very positive, robust experience, uh, even though a lot of it will be online. And that's why we're spending so much time uh, ensuring that the online experience for students is very positive. Uh, and it's also why we're spending so much time looking at technologies to support um, uh, uh, those activities. The last thing I'll talk about, and I know we're, we wanted this to be about a half an hour, and so I think I'm tracking fairly well. Uh, the last thing I'll talk about is, uh, um, with all of this as a challenge, with the budget as a challenge, with COVID-19 as a challenge, and really with the question of coming out of COVID-19, what does the world look like? What does uh, Alberta look like? What does Lethbridge look like? How do we as, as a university make sure that we continue to evolve in a very positive way? And I, I am convinced we will continue to evolve in a very positive way, but not without um, some really critical thought as to how we will uh, emerge out of COVID, how we will respond to the likelihood that uh, the economy will be very challenged for the next uh, few years, certainly in Alberta and I think uh, truly around the world. And so we're using the word transformation a lot. We're really focused on how can we transform what we do to make sure that we continue to be a very strong uh, destination university with a commitment to liberal education at our core, with a commitment to research as a foundation, as a comprehensive academic research university. And so that transformation is taking place as we speak. I, I've uh, spent a fair amount of time talking about the first uh, level of trans transformation, which is moving online. And so uh, I have to give a huge shout out to lots of different folks, our IT folks, our teaching center folks, all of our faculty and staff uh, who are really working hard to make sure that the online experience for students is, um, is, a, is a very positive one. And I would say the amount of time, energy and money we're throwing into this uh, would suggest that we will use these online courses in the future as a revenue source. We will look at how do we continue to uh, provide that that really um, important face-to-face in-class experience, but use those online courses as a way to reach out to other students that uh, for various reasons can't come to Lethbridge. And so uh, one of the things we've said is let's not, let's not um, uh, think about this as a kind of a one or two term wonder. Let's think about this as a way that we can really build our online presence as a university worldwide. Uh, we're looking very, very seriously at all of our administrative structures so that we can look to reduce costs. And so we're looking, I mean, they talk about flattening the curve in COVID. I talk about flattening our structures. And so we've made some difficult decisions about how we're structured and we will make some diff difficult decisions going forward. From my perspective, it's vital that we maintain our commitment to uh, student services, the student experience in the classroom, and other services on campus to make sure that, that this is still a campus uh, community that has a positive experience. Uh, thirdly, we're, we're um, looking at program delivery. Our most recent example would be in the co-op internship applied study area. We used to have that spread out over three different units. We've collapsed the units into one and created a, a one-stop shop uh, focus in that area. 
uh, that that will allow us to be more efficient in terms of uh, how we deliver our programming, but it also will save us uh, money, there's no question. But I do believe it will create uh, greater synergies across different faculties. And this is one of the strong themes around transformation that, uh, that all of us have been talking about is how do we use this as an opportunity to look at how we're doing things right now and develop a more collaborative, uh, uh, integrated approach to the different services that we're providing. And so we're looking at communications. Uh, how do we develop a more integrated model to, uh, regarding communications as, a, as another example? The other thing that we will undertake is a complete review of, of what we do and how we do it from uh, an academic programming perspective. And so it's really important for us to make sure that we are being very analytical in terms of how we're offering our programming, uh, the extent to which that programming is reaching students, and how best to deliver that programming. And this is where we're going back to, I mean, are, are there some online solutions and some in-person solutions, uh, recognizing that um, how we do things uh, still needs to um, connect with the core of who we are, which is a liberal education institution with a strong focus on the student experience and a strong focus on smaller class sizes, etc. Uh, certainly, um, revenue generation also has to be part of the picture, and so we're looking at everything from, you know, enhancing professional programming in Calgary as a way to generate revenue to, uh, you know, a, a, an undertaking that's already in progress, but really making sure that we achieve our goals around internationalization and international students, so moving from 6% to 15%. And, and, you know, going uh, forward, looking at as many other opportunities and including, you know, what we do with our lands. We've been exploring our South Campus lands and is there a way to use those lands so that they can help the university generate revenue as a, a way of making sure that we continue to evolve productively. The last thing I'll talk about very briefly is um, that the government announced uh, at the end of the week, and, and we knew this announcement was coming, uh, that they will undertake the first full comprehensive review of the post-secondary system in Alberta over the next six months. They've uh, appointed a uh, consulting firm, uh, McKinsey, which is an international consulting firm. And over the next uh, six months, they will do a rigorous analysis of everything uh, that we uh, do as a sector. Uh, uh, they'll look at uh, the nature of program deli delivery, they'll look at the nature of research, they'll look at the nature of, um, of uh, Campus Alberta collaboration, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So our goal in that review will be to make sure that the University of Lethbridge is very well positioned uh, as uh, the review uh, unfolds and as the, the uh, outcomes of the review uh, are, are brought to bear, ensuring that our university continues to be a, uh, a well-positioned university in the province of Alberta, uh, in Canada and beyond, that we're well-positioned to continue to pro progress over the next 50 years. Uh, there's lots of chatter about the review, um, you know, what it will look like. Will it look at collapsing institutions? Will it look at uh, different kinds of governance, so less number of boards? Uh, those of you that have been in the province for a while will recall when uh, the uh, province uh, did a review of health and went from I forget how many health authorities to one. I don't anticipate that happening. And in fact, I think uh, uh, the, the post hoc analysis of the, that exercise is it probably was a little too extreme. But I, I do believe they will look at these kinds of questions. And so it's going to be very important for us to ensure that we 
uh, really think about and position ourselves well in relation to uh, the province and beyond. I think we have a very um, good story. I, we're Alberta's only destination university. We create some really positive student experiences in a research-intensive environment. We're the only institution in the province that continues to hold liberal education as the core of, of, of uh, who we are as an institution. And so holding those up as the review unfolds and making sure that, that uh, the reviewers and uh, the government uh, see that as uh, as we move through this is going to be really important. So I will um, stop there. I think that's about 30 minutes and um, now I'm happy to answer any questions and look forward to the questions. It's my favorite part of these things. Thank you very much for your um, informative talk and we have quite a few questions already lined up so we'll just jump right in. Our first yeah. question comes from Knut Peterson. Alberta has hired McKinsey and company to address what they deem is an aimless direction of post-secondary education, dot, dot, dot. In that regard, what are your thoughts on liberal education, for example? Thanks, Knut, and uh, thanks for uh, inviting me to, to participate in this. So, you know, I, I, well, first of all, I don't think uh, I would characterize the Alberta post-secondary system as aimless. I think, in fact, it uh, has... Uh, served the province very well for decades and decades, uh, if not uh, centuries, if we think about the University of uh, Alberta. And, uh, uh, you know, having worked at two of Alberta's uh, uh, universities and, and uh, knowing others well, I think we're all doing lots of good stuff. Uh, I, you know, I'm not at all averse to reviews. I think reviews are um, necessary at times to make sure that we still think um, that the structure we have is the appropriate structure. Uh, there is some question is the the uh, six sector model as an example, which was the, the PC government framework that came out probably about 15 years ago. Is that still fitting? Uh, so, you know, the, the review process will be the review process. I, I already mentioned in my comments that I think our liberal education uh, foundation will be a strength for us to position. I think we'll have to help McKinsey. I don't think we'll have to help McKinsey understand that. Uh, McKinsey is a very uh, um, well-regarded international um, firm that has worked a lot with universities. And in fact, I've worked with McKinsey uh, through my work with Universities Canada. So I know they're a very competent uh, organization and really understand post-secondary education in the world. So. I think our, our goal will be to work with McKinsey to have them understand why our liberal education research-informed institution is a jewel for Alberta that we don't want to mess with by having it amalgamated with uh, another large university. Now, one of the things we have done already uh, in, in preparation, frankly, for this review is we've signed an MOU with Lethbridge College and Medicine Hat College and really... Um, purposely said, part of what, um, why we're, uh, we're, we signed this MOU is we want to demonstrate to the government that we're already looking at how we align ourselves best to support Southern Alberta, and that that MOU is, is part of that messaging. Uh, but we'll also uh, make sure that we're spending lots of time with the uh, consulting firm to help them understand the University of Lethbridge. Our next question comes from Trevor Page. International students are an important source of revenue. How will your COVID arrangements affect them? Yeah, thanks, Trevor. And that is, of course, a concern. So, um, 
the uh, COVID arrangements right now, of course, uh, are for us to be primarily online. Uh, we've done that because we don't believe that we, uh, um, we believe we have to have enough time to make sure we have a really robust experience for students. Uh, so we've been thinking a lot about international students. Um, we've been lobbying the federal government to make sure that they um, loosen up their regulations for international students such that if international students spend a semester still at home uh, uh, participating online with the university, that semester counts towards their work uh, permit when they graduate. So part of the, the the attraction of Canada is if you come to Canada as a graduate student or as a student, uh, uh, you can work for up to two years after graduation. And so the government has said that six months will count towards uh, that uh, work visa. And we think that will be helpful. We're also spending lots of time with our uh, international folks, um, connecting with our international students um, both those that are um, on campus uh, to make sure they're feeling supported, but also those prospective students um, to help them understand that an online experience would be just would just be transitional and that we would be enthusiastically welcoming them to face to face. There is no question, though, when we talk to international students um, that um, they, of course, come to Canada uh, as a student because they want that experience in Canada. And so they're not enthusiastic really about being online, but um, we know, for example, in India, they still haven't written their exams. Uh, there's a long way to go before they open their borders up. And so we also have to be practical. Now, right now our international numbers are tracking uh, a, a little ahead of last year. And last year was a banner year for us. So we'll see, it's, it's early days. It's still only mid-June. Our next question comes from Mark Gullo. It seems that the other universities have been rather mute as to the impact of the budget cuts. What are your feelings about their responses? Well, I, you know, I think all of us uh, make our own decisions about um, the, uh, you know, uh, the impact of, uh, of budgets. Uh, you know, I think I'm not sure I would say the universities have been um, completely mute. Uh, if I look at the U of A, they they announced that they uh, have to lay off a thousand individuals uh, a, a while back. They also announced, uh, I think last week or the week before, that they're undertaking a full review of, of their campus and that the new president predicted they'll move from 18 faculties to nine faculties, at least as an example, in terms of downsizing of administration. So, I, you know, I mean, different people will say things, you know, in different ways. I've decided to be transparent about our numbers because I think transparency for our both our on-campus community and our, our Lethbridge community is important. So, uh, you know, we're doing another town hall this week uh, for the on-campus community. And uh, I just want to make sure that I continue to be transparent. Um, these are public numbers. Uh, the minister has uh, been public about the, the reductions. And so I'm not telling the community anything that hasn't been said at a macro level. What I'm trying to do is make sure that I give people specifics uh, about the impact on our university because I think that's only fair for, for our community. Our next question comes from Alana McNeil. We need a coordinated approach to stop the cuts from the Alberta government. Any suggestion about how to fight these cuts would be welcome? 
Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we have been uh, doing our own conversations with government for, for it, since this uh, started, and um, and we will continue to do that. Um, I, I do think um, whether or not fighting the cuts uh, is going to be uh, successful, I don't know. I mean, I think when we look at how um, challenging uh, the economy is, I think uh, it, it may be uh, maybe hard work uh, that. Uh, doesn't result in in success. What I would say is, I think it's really important that the community, uh, like SACPA, uh, continue to um, articulate the importance of post-secondary education in the province of Alberta, and in particular uh, here in Lethbridge. And so, I I have been speaking regularly with our, our MLA um, about this, so that he is a, a voice for us. I, I would encourage uh, folks to do that. I think it's important to talk to anybody that you know has some connectivity with the government about the importance of post-secondary education. And, you know, the way I tried to position this is that uh, it's important for us to communicate the impact of the university, of course, on our students and on our employees, but also on the broader community. And that's why I showed you the economic impact numbers. Uh, I did a, a session last week for BUILD, which is basically the... Um, the uh, builders and developers here in, in Lethbridge, and it was a great turnout. Uh, and you'd wonder, well, why are the builders and developers wanting to talk to the president about the budgets and COVID? Well, because they are very concerned about the impact of a downsized university on their industry, right? On the number of houses that are, are purchased, on the development opportunities. One of them told me, one of the real estate agents on the call told me that she'd lost three sales uh, in the last few weeks, uh, families that were planning on buying a house to have their kids live in with a couple other students, which we know is a very common model, uh, because they're not yet sure what the future looks like from a budget and COVID perspective. So, um, you know, helping the government understand the importance of our university uh, to the broader community is, is, I do think, one of the one of the messages that is important to impart, and that's certainly the message I'm imparting. So again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not telling you anything I haven't said to our minister, to our MLA, to uh, to the premier and others. And I, I think that kind of messaging from the public is important. Our next question comes from Laurie Schultz. What is the impact of the U of L revenue slash expenses from food court vendors who have closed? Yeah, so the food court vendors actually, the impact is more on the student union because the student union owns, uh, you know, the, the building and, uh, and and they are the, the leasers to the leasees. And so I don't have those numbers off the top of my head, unfortunately, but I can tell you it's significant because obviously um, they're... Um, the the vendors are um, not there, uh, so they're losing income. Obviously, a, a concern we have is will they return uh, or will those businesses go out of business? And so, uh, yeah, I, you know, we we see impacts on all levels, right? I mean, we've um, had to return, uh, you know, and appropriately so, uh, a certain amount of uh, of uh, student fees. We've had to return a certain amount of of fees for um, residences, for food plans, for parking, et cetera. And so all of these uh, ch changes have an impact on, on overall budgets. And so the student union is also impacted. 
Steve P, will face masks be required for staff and students? Good question. We're, uh, it's early days on that front. Uh, we're still trying to sort that out. Uh, so much of, uh, of um, what will uh, be determined is, is based upon what the um, uh, Chief Public uh, Health Officer has to say. Uh, right now, um, the requirements are um, not to have to wear a mask if you can, um, you know, distance two meters. Uh, and so um, we'll have to see what this looks like going forward. Uh, one of the challenges for us is um, uh, the government will not provide PPE to post-secondary institutions. Uh, they've said this already, they don't have the capacity. And so whatever we do PPE-wise is up to us, both in terms of sourcing and cost. And so these are all the things that obviously factor into what we do in terms of the return of students. Um, I doubt we will have all our students back on campus fully uh, until we have a vaccine. Now, that may change if um, all the predictions around the vaccine changes. Right now, they're speaking quite optimistically about it, there being a vac vaccine by, by Christmas. If, you know, if in the end, uh, some of these um, uh, uh, vaccines that are going to third phase clinical trial, which we know they are, if they don't succeed, if there is a safety issue, for example, uh, that is determined during phase three, then that might uh, dictate uh, us looking at things differently. And so safety is our number one uh, requirement. Uh, if in the end we need to have uh, face masks for everybody coming back to campus, then we'll, uh, you know, the question of uh, the feasibility of that will be very high. Uh, I, in one of the proposals for labs, um, one, I think I, if I recall, uh, one lab required about 3,500 masks uh, over the course of the term. Uh, and so if you start extrapolating that, you know, just as an example, out to uh, the entire campus, uh, the amount of PPE required would be uh, gargantuan. <laughs> to use a, a, a silly word, but you know, it would be just crazy, right? So thinking through this is obviously a big part of uh, the exercise that we're going through right now. Our next question comes from Henning Mundell. Will universities have input towards measurable outputs prescribed by the government uh, related to student grant graduation? Yeah, thanks, Henning, and, and uh, nice to see you virtually. Uh, I would say we're trying to. Uh, we are, we've uh, put together um, a number of uh, submissions to the government on everything from how they should be looking at enrollment to uh, how they should be looking at um, employment uh, and the like. Um, and the government has received those, but uh, I would say thus far uh, they still are fairly focused on, on their own data and their own um, uh, perspectives on these things. So, you know, as with everything we do with uh, this government, the federal government, others, uh, we will continue to provide input and um, try to in ensure that uh, our perspective on these metrics is well voiced. And we'll do that collaboratively, collaboratively with our other uh, university and college partners, which we're doing uh, significantly. We've got a all university college meeting for four hours uh, on Friday or five hours, I think, on Friday. And so we're working hard with our post-secondary partners on everything from metrics uh, to the review and, and the structure of that review.
Our next question comes from Clint Peterson. As you know, I have a bit of a bias towards prong-hong pro, prong athletics and, will full, and with full sports canceled, will expenses saved in that regard, will such money be saved and or redirected within athletics? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, we're, I'll be honest and say we're not there yet. Uh, I mean, we've just learned about the closure uh, we don't know exactly what the closure will look like. Um, we do know that our athletes um, are able to train and want to train. So we're actually working through that right now with uh, with both our new athletic director and the coaches. And so the um, the costs associated with, you know, having coaches and, and training opportunities, et cetera, will still be there. Uh, with the costs that won't be there, obviously, will be the travel costs associated with those, uh, in particular, the fall sport teams, which in our case are, are primarily uh, rugby and, and soccer. Um, so we'll look at we'll look at where those funds are directed. But you know, I'll I'll be honest, uh, we're hemorrhaging uh, funding so much, uh, both because of the cuts as well as because of COVID. Um, you know, it's unlikely that we will uh, not have to look at how we simply. Um, are um, using the savings from uh, the various things not happening as a way to try and manage the budget challenge. And so a good example is the savings in, in travel. Um, we're using those savings in travel as one of the ways to buffer the 6.2 million uh, in cuts that, or, or in you know, costs that we've had to bear, um, you know, in relation to, um, uh, you know, other areas. And so if you look at loss of tuition or, you know, loss of revenue from uh, uh, ancillary services. I think between the two, that's over $5 million. So so any savings in other areas will likely, for the most part, be used to counteract uh, the costs that uh, we're bearing. Laurie Schultz has a question. What timeline has the Kenny government given to start the new metrics, and then in brackets, i.e., from the time a student graduates to getting a related job with medium income, etc., and bar and brackets, before grading the U of L. Yeah, it's a good question. We don't have that that uh, information yet. Um, we uh, the metrics associated with work are very challenging. So we have employment data um, that uh, we receive. I think it's every three years. Uh, that is survey data that is uh, uh, done by the province. That's really the, the only very uh, comprehensive uh, employment data that is presently gathered. And so that and that employment data, by the way, shows that we do very well. We're in about the 95 to uh, 96 uh, percent employ employment uh, um, for our for our students. So we think we do well on the employment uh, front. The the uh, data around. Um, uh, you know, wages uh, and these sorts of things is very difficult to access. Uh, and, you know, there are, there, there are Stats Canada data, but how you would use that Stats Canada data to then um, line it up with specific institutions would be pretty challenging, um, I, would, I would argue. So we're not yet sure what uh, the government intends to do. We'll try and work closely with them to make sure that whatever data they choose we feel is fair in relation to um, uh, our institution and our and our students uh, the other the other piece around this is um, as we know 
lots of our students come and do a degree, but then they go on to a second degree, right? And so, you know, they may do a, an undergraduate degree in history and go off and uh, do a law degree. They may go off and do a master's degree somewhere else. And so the question of employment and, and um, uh, you know, wages in, in that very common context is a big question, right? So, for example, if, you know, somebody graduates with a history degree and they go off and do a master's in history or a, or a, a law degree, uh, and they're still a, a struggling student and maybe on student loans or maybe they get a graduate assistantship if they're doing a master's degree, does that, does that mean that their, um, their sort of employment income is the modest amount of income they receive as a graduate student or less? And so these are not easy um, questions. And I, I would argue that uh, that's going to be the struggle for us with the government is to find metrics that really actually work and that are meaningful in relation to the context of universities. Our next question comes from Leona Jacobs. Does the loss in revenue and in brackets provided by COVID help or hinder the U of L's response to the government's requirement to cut expenditures, at least in this immediate budget year? Yeah, great question. If, if the, um, uh, the expense reduction uh, expectations was in place, um, we, it would be an interesting question because we'll have different expenses in, um, in, in certain areas, you know, let's, let's say travel, but we'll have increased expenses in other areas. Right. And so, um, I would say if in a COVID year, uh, it may be a wash, it's hard to know because, you know, until the numbers really, uh, play out, um, it, it's unclear, but the other, the other piece on the expense front, which is the big challenge is, um, that, um, you know, we will see, um, uh, you know, research funds, uh, funds from uh, philanthropy, et cetera, counted in um, the expense side, because if we, if we receive those, let's say, NSERC funding or SHRP funding, we have to spend it. And so this is what we've been trying to get the government to understand is that the expense measure uh, doesn't work for universities. And so when they backed away last week and said, we're not going to, introduce the expense uh, measure for the next three years, at least this is what we've been told. We're very pleased. And I, and I have to thank all those that lobbied the government, uh, our board chair, all of our board, all of our senior team, our students, uh, community members, all really put on a full court press. And not just the University of Lethbridge, all those folks across the province were doing the same thing. Our next question is from Bev Mundell. If there should be if there should be increased revenue through gifting, would this negatively impact government funding? Well, um, you know, I think government funding is being decreased, right? So uh, unless the government changes, which are, uh, you know, our understanding on this front, I should have mentioned this earlier, is um, uh, we think there's a likelihood that the cuts will be even bigger than I laid out to you, the twenty percent um, with with post-COVID and the size of the debt the government has uh, has developed because of COVID. So I don't, uh, I, I'm not optimistic we'll see a decrease in, in, in the reductions. I, I think, if anything, unfortunately, we'll see an increase. And so um, fundraising, uh, research revenue, revenue from international students is going to be vital, to be honest, for us to try and counteract uh, 
the, the reductions. One of the things that we have to be really mindful of is that um, as we reduce our, fa our staff complement, um, we reduce our capacity to deliver on the ground. And so trying to figure out how we strike the balance between revenue generation and uh, reductions is, is an ongoing uh, issue. So, um, you know, would the government see us generating revenue and cut us even further? I hope not. I hope they would see us generating revenue as a response to uh, their um, uh, demand to, to, to decrease the, the funding that we receive from them. Our next question comes from uh, Laurie Schultz. Does the pause on expenditure cap mean the hockey program, for example, could fundraise to reinstate the hockey program? I guess this is kind of a similar question. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the hockey uh, committee that's been struck, led by uh, Dan LaPlante, is, uh, is looking very much at, is there a different way to fund hockey so that hockey could return to the University of Lethbridge? I'm very supportive of that if that's uh, a model that can work. In the same way, I'm, 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 you know, frankly assuming that as we move forward, other things that we do on campus are going to have to be funded using different resources. And so, um, uh, you know, unfortunately, but re realistically, we're going to see a decrease in our provincial funding and we're going to have to find other sources of revenue to counterbalance uh, those uh, decreases in, in provincial funding. And so, the hockey exercise, if you want to think about that, is actually a, um, an interesting um, sort of uh, test. Can you fund, um, a, you know, a, an athletics program using a different model? And it may be a test that we're faced uh, in the future for other programs. Laura Schultz has another question. You have mentioned that parents are not purchasing houses for kids attending U of L. Have you heard from property managers, agencies, and landlords who rent to students? Uh, I haven't directly, but I'm sure we have uh, um, through our housing uh, services because we, you know, we have relationships. Obviously, we have our own residences, but we have relationships with all of the the various uh, housing uh, folks around the city because they, uh, you know, they have a, a vested interest in knowing what's going on with the university. So while I haven't had any direct contact, I'm certain there has been contact, and and I, you know, I I will be. Uh, I'm certain there's great concern from those folks in terms of uh, of their uh, rental income because. You know, let's face it, if, especially on the west side, if you ride your bike around the west side, uh, you know that there are many, many rental properties that rely on the university as their source of income. And, you know, we're no different than, uh, you know, Queens and, and uh, Western and many universities in eastern Canada that uh, have so many students that come from away. We're very unique in the west, right? I mean, we... Um, there is not really another institution, certainly on the prairies like ours, that is in a smaller community that attracts so many students to its campus. Uh, Victoria is probably the best example in the West besides us. And so our economy and uh, many elements of our economy have become quite dependent on the university and on the, the, uh, this, this flow of students to um, to Lethbridge every fall. I mean, 35% of our students come from Calgary. If that flow was to change, uh, there would be significant impact on lots of different businesses. Leona Jacobs, uh, re-COVID, 
recreational services generally are open now. What is what is happening with the community wellness center re resuming activities? Yeah, thanks. So we're in. Uh, in fact, I had an hour and a half meeting about that on Friday. Uh, we're looking at um, the potential of opening up our our uh, campus stadium to summer camps for kids. There's this huge pressure, and many of our own uh, faculty members with young kids will know this. That uh, uh, you know, child care, children's camps uh, is. Uh, really critical for for uh, young families to have different ways for kids to be um, to have both quality of life experiences as well as um, as uh, you know various forms of childcare. So we're looking at that. We're looking at um, our our um, uh, first choice center. Um, we're going to be very careful about it though because obviously um, you know uh, restrictions uh, around. Uh, distancing, cleaning, etc., is uh, huge. So um, over the course of the next number of weeks, we'll come up with with plans related to that. I can't tell you when First Choice will open. A lot of that will uh, really depend on um, the work that they're doing right now, the analytical work on how feasible is it to uh, you know, get into the fitness center and be in the fitness center. On Friday, for example, they were, they were just talking about the crush space around the um, uh, the the desk and uh, the turnstile area, right? So you know, how do you manage people coming in when you're funneling them into um, you know a, a fairly uh, concentrated location? So a lot of work being done. Yes, we know uh, other facilities are opening, and frankly, I'll be honest, we have to look at this from a revenue perspective. We lost we've lost a fair amount of revenue because of the opening of the the new NMAX uh, facility uh, in uh, West Lethbridge. And so we don't want to lose more of our customers, I'll be honest, uh, because we're not um, looking at how to open. So we have to balance that, uh, the revenue we we use for lots of different things on campus uh, with safety. And that's where the committee is uh, working right now. Beth Mungle, if, um says, thank you so much, Mike, for your tireless work for the U of L and for sharing your vision with SACPA. And then Knut Peterson, many thanks for again speaking to SACPA. Too bad we couldn't provide you with a lunch this time. So that's, <laughs> that's, um, that's it for our questions. Um, so before we end the live stream, do you have any closing or parting words for us? Sure. Well, first of all, just say thank you. Uh, I always enjoy coming and speaking to SACPA. I enjoy the life, the lunch too, Canute. So I, I, I too will miss the lunch. But, uh, but I, I, I commend SACPA for continuing to do the work that that you're doing, even uh, doing it virtually the way that you are. And uh, I appreciate, I really do appreciate the opportunity to uh, provide you with with uh, this pretty detailed information because uh, I, I want our university to be transparent in terms of uh, the the uh, things we're moving through. So, uh, folks. Uh, stay healthy, uh, and uh, I'll look forward to seeing you all in person uh, someday soon. Thanks very much. Thank you, and uh, I will now end the session. <laughs>